What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. So today we wrap up our sermon series on grace every day. We've looked at different ways grace can show up in our lives from nature and the seasons of the year to divine encounters and the practice of Sabbath. Our lives can be filled with God's grace, sometimes in completely unexpected ways. We saw how grace is simply God's favor. And one way to think about that is God being drawn to us. You have God's favor when God wants to be with you, and God always wants to be with you. So that requires a response from us. So now we look at our final passage regarding God's grace. This is the only day where our scripture reading does not have the word grace in it, but I invite you to look for the example of grace found in it. Sal is going to read for us from Luke, where Jesus has just been turned away from a Samaritan village. The disciples want to call on God to burn the village to the ground, but Jesus rebukes them. Then he sends 70 of his followers out into the country to spread the good news. When they return, Jesus celebrates, saying, God has given them power over the enemy. Now, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, where we hear about another enemy. Hear now the word of the Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to the test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. Just waiting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half a dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you 
whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. May our Lord God bless this reading and hearing of his holy words today. Amen. And from 1 John 4, 16, So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Help us to build community, change our hearts that we may truly be inclusive, and empower us to be passionate in pursuit of you, Lord. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Growing up, my family always argued at the dinner table. With two parents that worked, two older brothers and a younger sister, dinner was the only time everyone was together. It was also the prime time for arguments to break out. With eerie regularity, most nights ended with someone disagreeing with someone else and my mother saying, let me check the dictionary. See, there was no internet, and we didn't own an encyclopedia, so the definitive source of all information in our home was the dictionary. Not only that, most of our arguments didn't actually involve facts about the world around us. They were mostly about what someone said, or how someone said it, and what they meant when they said the thing that they said. The words connotation and denotation for what a word could mean versus what the actual definition of a word was, uh, was indeed a regular feature at my childhood dinner table. If you are wondering how exhausting growing up in my house was, the answer was very. Uh, These fights were never mean-spirited, but there was this constant need to prove ourselves to be right, and it led to fighting and bickering just about every day. I remember one particular incident where someone was unsure what continent Russia was in. I said, it's in Europe and Asia, but no one believed me. It sounded too strange to them. Now, history and geography are a strong suit of mine. I was certain, absolutely certain about my answer. I went even further. The Ural Mountains divide Europe and Asia, and Russia goes right across it. Then my mom says, let me check the dictionary. Turns out the dictionary does not tell you what continent Russia is in, and most of my family remained unconvinced. My little sister, though, she decided that if there was one person in the family who would know the answer to the question, it was me, so she backed me up. It felt like a great victory. It felt like I was acknowledged for being right, and I was the winner, even if no one else was willing to admit it. These days, my dinner table is far less combative. We usually ask our children how the day was and what surprising, interesting things happened to them. And though sometimes there are arguments over eating food, especially healthy food, we don't really argue about things like Russia. What's the difference, you might ask? Why was it so painful when I was growing up and now things are relatively pleasant? 
You might say, well, the internet changed things. We have access to quick facts. But I would argue something far more fundamental has changed. Years ago, they used to talk about the fight or flight mechanism. Whenever we are threatened by violence or some kind of danger, this mechanism is triggered in our brains. We either fight back or we run away from the danger. They've since discovered there is a third response, the freeze response. Sometimes when we are confronted with danger, we do literally nothing, as if we are frozen in place. Now, when things aren't quite so life and death danger levels, requiring these very limited responses, uh, there's actually a very different kind of way of thinking about these encounters. Some call it the threat-based mindset. It might go like this. If someone challenges something we are saying, we might try to fight, saying, you are wrong, I am right. Or maybe you'd run away from an argument, in which case you could say, let's talk about something else, moving things in a completely different direction. A threat could still make you uh, freeze in conversation, so you might not do anything or just say, uh. uh. But the fourth response is the one I find most interesting. When something threatens, we can also pretend. It's called fawning, acting as though you are interested, just going along with the motions, but never really deeply engaging. That's a great way to get out of a dangerous conversation. Just pretend. Now, I imagine there are plenty of times where this kind of response is warranted. If a conversation that goes bad could turn violent or dangerous, I can certainly understand someone fawning, just pretending, trying to get out of the situation. But beyond this, what might God think about this? What does God want from us in these situations? Is there a spiritual way to deal with our families arguing? Is there a better way to deal with conflict and confronting our enemies besides flight or fawning? Uh, Jesus was regularly challenged by his competitors, and many of them would have considered him family, even if they were vehemently disagreeing with one another. Sometimes, though, there weren't just disagreements. Sometimes there was real conflict. Jesus faced real enemies, and his response to these people tells us so much about spirituality, especially when it's with an enemy. In the Gospel of Luke, we have what begins as a challenge from a competitor of Jesus. The lawyer in the story wants to put Jesus uh, uh, wants, to, wants to push Jesus, but it's nothing out of the ordinary here. A religious teacher had to prove themselves and show they knew their stuff, so a question about inheriting eternal life is expected. And Jesus asks a counter-question. What, what do you think? And the lawyer says, well, you have to love God, and that's from Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is the one God. You shall love the Lord your God. Every good Jew knew that rule. Then he tacks on, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19, which is a book filled with all kinds of rules. Uh, But many people have recognized that the focus of all those rules is not to simply follow the rules. The rules in Leviticus are meant to help guide human relationships. At the very center of this list of rules is this commitment to others, to the community, and caring for it. 
making it better. If you think about it long enough, even some of the weird rules can help lead us to a better community. There's one particular law I think of that seems strange to us. It's to not mix different seeds for crops together. It's right near this verse from Leviticus 19, uh, to love your neighbor. We look at that and we say, huh, what does that mean? Why would God tell us not to do that? If you walk through it, though, the reason is because other groups of people would depend on the gods to produce crops. They would mix seeds and fabrics so these fertility gods would give crops. Even more, in ancient times, they would leave a portion of the field unharvested as an offering to these gods. Instead, Leviticus says, sure, leave part of your field unharvested, but leave it for the poor. Let them come and harvest that portion that is left over. Whoa, that's quite an innovation for its time. Don't offer gifts to the gods and ignore the poor. Care for the people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then the lawyer wants to prove himself. He wants his question to really stand out, so he follows it up with, and who, Jesus, is my neighbor? And that question strikes at the very heart of everything we believe. Who is my neighbor? Who do I care about? How do I define the poor and the needy? Is it just the people around me? Is it my next-door neighbor, so when their house burns down, I need to do what I can to take care of them? Or is it something else? Jesus knows how the religious ones think of their neighbor. They think their neighbor is only other Jewish brothers and sisters, only people who kept themselves pure during the exile. Those Jews who married foreigners and were exposed to a different set of religious values, they aren't Jews. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They are Samaritans. Jews hated the Samaritans. They weren't their neighbors even though they lived close by. They were evil and wrong. In their mind, God hates Samaritans. Yet Jesus says, of these three, the priest, the Levite, who are both good religious Jews, and the Samaritan, your hated enemy, who was a neighbor to the man that was bruised and beaten? The answer, of course, is the Samaritan who showed mercy. The arch enemy of Israel is the hero. There's a a joke about a minister who is preaching about forgiving your enemies and asks everyone willing to forgive to raise their hands, and most people raise their hands. He keeps preaching and asks again, who will forgive your enemy? And everyone raises their hand except one little old lady. He walks up to her and asks why she won't forgive her enemies, and she says, I have no enemies. The minister is amazed and says, how old are you? She says, 96, 96, and you have no enemies. He brings her up to the front of the church and says, please tell everyone how it's possible that at 96 years old you have no enemies. And she says, it's easy. I outlive them all. (laughs) It might be hard, but I think the man or woman who shows mercy to their sworn enemy can teach us something about what grace really means. 
See, when you show mercy, it means your past wrongs don't permanently exclude you from a better life. Mercy means a foreigner whose nation is in shambles isn't immediately rejected at our nation's borders. Mercy means grace is shown whether you reject God's offer of a better life or not. Even if you once said no to a life led by the Spirit, even if you chose the law and rules and rejecting your sworn enemy, mercy is the means by which grace is offered to give another chance to make things right. And your chance is right now. When you show mercy to that man left for dead in the street, you think, well, he got beat up for a reason. Best not stick my nose where it doesn't belong. Wrong. Mercy requires that we go where we don't belong so that we can do what the Spirit would lead us to do even at the risk of our own lives. We often think that what is spiritual is when we are at church or when we are singing songs to God. Maybe we have grown to a place where we say, oh yes, when I am surrounded by my family and I feel that love, that is spiritual. Good. Yes, those are beautiful moments where God's spirit is at work, where we can clearly see God's grace in our lives. But can you turn the corner where you don't just receive grace, but you show grace, even in danger, even when fight-or-flight mechanisms are kicking in, can you offer mercy to the people that are different from you, who are poor and hurting and maybe even your arch enemy? Can you see that God's Spirit is at work even in the person you hate the very most? Everything we do, is a spiritual act. Everything contributes toward expanding grace, which is God's favor, or shrinking it. When you cut people off, when you refuse to help someone, when you declare a person your sworn enemy for all time and forever, you have rejected the example of the Samaritan. You have not loved your neighbor as you ought to love. Today, God gives you a second chance in how you act toward others, in how you respond to God. Your chance is right now. Will you take it, though? Will you live with the Spirit at the center of your life, embracing mercy, giving even your enemy a second chance? That's what the Spirit calls us to. That's the meaning of the story of the Good Samaritan. Yesterday morning, I received some terrible news about Tom Noonan, who had joined our church a few years ago, as I said. Tom had been sick for quite some time and was admitted to the hospital a few weeks ago. I'd seen him, and he was not feeling great, but at least the doctors knew what the situation was, so he was hopeful. Then I visited him again after a surgery and some rehab, and he was so much better. He was eating again, gaining weight. He was looking better. All the signs were good, and he was hoping to be released from the hospital soon. But then I found out that he had contracted COVID and then pneumonia. He ended up dying Friday night. And I am very distressed by his death. But I was thinking about the last visit I had made with him when he was in rehab. After I had prayed with him and just before I was about to go, he pulled me close to him and he said, Brian, I wanted to talk with you about the family promised dinners. He said, Patricia does so much to help feed the homeless. 
There are some others that help out when, when we can, but we need to get more volunteers. Feeding the homeless is so important. And I agreed with him and committed to helping to get more people to help do that, that work, and then I left. That was the last time I saw Tom. He thought feeding others, helping the homeless was so important that what was, that was what he wanted to, to end his time with me with. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about benefiting himself. He wanted to help the world. He wanted to show mercy even to strangers. Tom understood what it meant to live in God's grace. It's every day, in every situation. Let's end with this. Henry Nouwen, the famous writer, once told a story of being a child during World War II. He was 13 at the time, and he had been given a, a goat by his father. It was the last year of the war, but in that part of the Netherlands, many people were dying of hunger. Henry loved his goat. He took him on long walks, played with him, wrestled with him, and carried him. He even built a pen for him in the garage and a wooden wagon that the goat could pull. As soon as he'd wake up, he would feed Walter the goat. Then after school, he'd clean his pen and feed him again. Henry describes their relationship as that of best friends. One day early in the morning, he went to the garage and found the pen empty. Walter had been stolen. He says he never cried so hard in his life. He sobbed and screamed from grief. His father and mother could not console him. Years later, though, after the war was over and there was enough food for everyone again, his father told Henry that it was the gardener that had taken Walter. The man's family had nothing left to eat. And though Henry's father never confronted the gardener about it, he was certain that's what had happened. Henry realized in that moment an important lesson about grace and mercy. The thief was no longer his enemy. He could see things from a new perspective. That for as much as he loved that pet goat, loving his neighbor meant sacrifice. It meant giving and not holding resentment. It's the same example we see in Jesus Christ who died on the cross, suffering an unjust punishment for our sake. While we were still enemies to God, he died for us. God's mercy on all of us reminds us that the Spirit is at work everywhere. Literally everything we do takes on a spiritual dimension as we either share God's grace or not. Grace has changed the dinner table at my home. Grace is what Jesus taught the lawyer in showing mercy to a perceived enemy. Grace is what Tom and Henry remind us of when the world seems unfair. It is what Jesus taught us through the example of the Samaritan and in his death on the cross. Show mercy today so that you might find a deeper, richer meaning in life, one where spirituality is in everything you do as you share God's grace with the world. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.